Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Thank you for downloading this podcast from The Reedy Clubby Show on Talk Radio 702 and 567 Cape Talk. For more, please go to 702.co.za or Cape Talk. Dot co dot za. Talk Radio 702 and 567 Cape Talk. The Naked Scientist. Chris, good morning. A strange time to be talking to you, but thank you very much for chatting to us. Hello, Reedy. Hi there. And The Naked Scientist, of course, is brought to you by Grolsch Premium Lager. Grolsch Choose Interesting, not for sale to persons under the age of 18. Our lines are open for you. What do you want to ask Chris on 021-446-0567-011-883-0702? Every Friday, we satisfy our curiosity about the world we live in and find out more about the weird and wonderful laws of nature. So we are taking your calls. We have an SMS here from last week. Somebody wants to know why do your eyes get puffy and feel scratchy when you get really tired? Um, There's a range of reasons why this is. During the day, when you're up and about, then your eyes are continuously being assailed with various insults. They include ultraviolet light if you're out in the bright sunshine, especially in high places like Joburg, because you're at higher altitudes, so the sun's a bit more intense. There's also dust and grit that can get into your eyes and irritate, and this has a cumulative effect over the day. That's one thing. But probably the most important contributor to this, and it's very acute on aeroplanes, I should know, I've just got off of 30 hours of aeroplane journeys back from Australia, and as you go to sleep or as you get tired, in preparation for going to sleep, your body turns off or turns down the production of tears. Your tears are produced by your lacrimal glands and they lubricate the eye and they wash out gunk and they drain away down your tear duct. But when your eyes are closed at night, you don't need to put as many tears into your eyes. So your nervous system reduces the supply of tears to the eyes. As you get tired, therefore, you anticipate going to sleep, so your tear production goes down. But if you're still up and awake, your eyes are still being assailed with all of these insults. And so there's too few tears to deal with them. And that can leave your eyes feeling literally dry and gritty. Mm-hmm. So there's your answer. And then this one, somebody wants to know why uh, water does not come down the chimney into the fireplace when it, uh, when it rains. It must be good plumbing. Well, some does. Uh, Certainly, you can hear this if you wait for a very rainy day and you listen to the tube that comes down to the stove, you will hear a little bit of rain hitting it. If you think about it, though, the the actual surface or cross-sectional area of the chimney is probably about, what, 10, 15 centimetres across. So the area that the raindrops are going to hit is actually quite small compared with the vast area of the roof of your house. And when they do hit, then the volume of each raindrop is probably, I think, probably a quarter of a millilitre, and it's then going to run down inside the chimney and probably soak up into all of the soot and other particles. So the amount of water that actually eventually saturates the soot and makes it all the way down to the bottom is really small, but it does happen. And if you put a piece of paper across the chimney and leave it there, you'll see that after a heavy rainstorm there'll be some little black sooty spots on it where some rain has made it down as drops all the way down the chimney and run down in little rivulets carrying some soot with them. So it does happen. Hmm. 
Hmm. And then somebody wants to ask a question about uh, aging in space. Let me see if I can I can find it. Um, f- how much slower do people on the space station age? That's from Clinton. What Clinton is getting at is that because of a rule that Einstein effectively proved mathematically and we've subsequently proved experimentally, the faster you're travelling, the slower time moves for you. And the reason for this is that because the speed of light is constant in any given medium, you can't break the speed limit of light. Therefore, if you travel closer towards the speed of light, space-time, what the fabric of the universe is made of, has to bend to accommodate the fact you're going faster. So if you put something like a a clock on the International Space Station, because this is orbiting at 250 miles above the Earth's surface and it's doing about nine orbits or an hour and a half uh, is the orbital time, it's therefore travelling very fast compared to someone who's on the Earth's surface. Therefore, that clock will be travelling closer to the speed of light than an equivalent clock on the Earth's surface and therefore time will pass a fractionally slower for the clock which is in orbit compared to the clock on the Earth's surface. You can also repeat the Mm -hmm. experiment but with very accurate cesium clocks on aeroplanes, which is what people have done. So basically, the faster you move, the slower time passes for you relative to people who are moving more slowly. So if I went on a very fast space rocket out into space at the speed of light, which would be impossible at, uh, at the moment, but say I went and did that, I would go out on my journey and come back. The people on Earth would have aged a lot more um, than I would have done on my spacecraft. Our lines are open for you, 21 446 Lots of great SMSs, and we'll deal with them in a moment. Uh, but uh, meanwhile, you can still uh, call in and ask your questions. Back right after this. Talk Radio 702 and 567 Cape Talk. The Naked Scientist. Let's go straight to the lines in Judica in Santon. Hi. Hi. Mm. Hi, Chris. I just want to find out what's so important in estrogen that estrogen deficiency causes hair loss in women. Mm. Hello. Well, the, the reason that we get hair loss at all is that because you have testosterone in men, testosterone gets metabolized to a toxic or a form which is toxic to hair follicles in certain parts of the scalp. And this causes androgen-related alopecia, or androgen-dependent alopecia, otherwise known as male pattern baldness. If you switch off the supply of testosterone, then that doesn't happen. Now, women do can, or can get an, an element of this, because the gene which causes this to happen appears to be linked to the X chromosome. And so if women have two copies of the gene that's related to androgen sensitivity and baldness, then they can experience a degree of hair loss, which tends to become more acute or worse as they become older, because there's more uh, androgen, testosterone there. Now, normally, if you've got a high level of estrogen, then you will have lower levels of testosterone Mm -hmm. for various reasons biochemically. If after the menopause, when the level of estrogen falls, then other sources of estrogens and androgens, testosterone-like chemicals, become higher in the blood. And so, therefore, the rate of hair loss does tend to accelerate in people who are more susceptible after the menopause and, and for the rest of their life. Okay. Does that answer your question, Shudika? Uh, well, it does, part of it. But um, I've been tested for uh, the androgen and testosterone, and I'm not above those levels. It's actually very low. And my estrogen is also very low. But I'm suffering with the hair loss, and there's no other um, test that's showing the cause of it. 
How strange. The only possibility is that you've also inherited some other uh, change in the way that your hair follicles either manipulate, interpret or metabolise testosterone or chemicals like testosterone, and that in your case, although the levels are very, very low, they're nonetheless being seen as much higher by your hair cells, if you saw what I mean, because perhaps you've got some kind of change genetically which makes your hair, your hair follicles much more sensitive to the androgens, or perhaps something else is causing the hair loss. It's important to consider all the possibilities. So I, I think certainly talking to a dermatologist to see if they can give any advice, if you haven't done that already, would be a very good place to start, just in case there's something else going on that could be remedied or reversed. Let's go to Vincent in Claremont. That's an interesting question. Good morning. Hi, uh, good morning uh, to Reddy and uh, yeah. Good morning, your question? Um, yeah, my question is, uh, we have all these different cancers, uh, lung cancer, liver cancer, bone cancer, but we never seem to have heart cancer. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure that it, there is heart cancer, but it must be very, very rare, but we never hear of it, you know? Is there such a thing, Chris? Yes, there is. The heart is made of muscle called cardiac muscle, and you can get cancers of those muscle cells. There's a condition, for instance, called an atrial myxoma, where you get a tumour of the atrial tissue. So just like any tissue in the body, if there are genetic changes that, that cause cells to grow uncontrollably, they can lead to cancer. The heart can get this. It is relatively rare, but certainly not so un- uncommon that we don't see cases of it. Uh, it does happen, but it's, it's not the most common cause of cancer. You're, the ones that you listed, first of all, things like skin cancer, lung cancer, breast cancer, they're much more common. And Joan in Kempton Park, hi. Good morning, dear. Um, I want to know why, how is it possible that sleeping with the potato keeps the pain away from my legs? Have you tried that and does no, it work? the last two weeks I'm sleeping, no pain. Okay, where did you get the idea, Joan? I heard it from somebody and actually in the U magazine a few weeks ago, uh, four, four people wrote about the wonderful feeling they have now with no pain and it works chris well i don't know where you put the potato joan but um perhaps it's around your feet or something no, i, I suspect the side of my legs yeah, well, I'm wondering if what's happening is when you make small, subtle movements in bed at night, the potato kind of gives your legs a knock and makes you move them. And when you move your legs, you're more likely to increase the blood flow through them to make the muscles and the nerve cells talk to each other, which we think is important in how cramp develops. You move metabolites around the, the biochemical breakdown products of the cells actually working at night. And perhaps all these things, because the, the muscles remain a little bit more active and the blood flow remains a little bit better, it stops the muscles going into spasm, which is what a cramp is. So I, I would suspect it's probably because you, you keep kicking the potato in the night without realising it and it's making you move your legs more. Mm-hmm. Well, Joan, whatever works, hey? Uh, Tessa in Brudestrom, hi. Good morning. Good morning. I'd like to ask a question that's been worrying me for a long time. Why is it that every time I turn on a tap, or I hear water running, I have immediately, and this is very irritating, immediately I have to go to the loo. 
<laughs> oh dear. I think we all, I think everyone, you've ne- it's a bit like contagious sneezing. We all do this. And in fact, when we've had people who in hospital have had problems where they've had to have a catheter in because they couldn't pass urine, sometimes what we do before we force them to have a catheter to get the extra urine out, sometimes we, we make the sound of running water, which can help some people to, to get going in the first place. It's, um, it's probably partly in your case a learned response though, because the bladder has a lot of nerves in it and the nerves sense how stretched the bladder is. They tell your spinal cord that information and the spinal cord tells your brain that information and your brain can then decide whether you want to then go and empty your bladder or not and it might be that your uh, stretch receptors are telling your spinal cord that there's a bit more stretch in the bladder than there really is and you've got lear- you've got used to emptying your bladder at a certain level of stretch and so as soon as you hear something that's that sort of tinkling noise that you associate with having a wee you then want to go and have one. You, what you probably should do is try and train yourself. Uh-huh. Um, we actually say this to patients. I'm not being flippant. We actually say to patients, when you get the urge to have a wee, if, if you feel that you're going too often, then maybe try holding on for a little bit longer, a few minutes initially, and then maybe a quarter of an hour. And you will be able to train your bladder to experience a greater degree of stretch before you feel you have to empty it. Now, I'm not saying you have to go pathological with this and, and train yourself to, to have a bladder volume of five litres and not ever pass urine for a day or two. Uh, don't do that. Mm-hmm. But see if you can, if you can learn to, uh, to suppress the urge and then you'll find eventually your bladder just learns that it doesn't happen. It doesn't have to have a wee every time you hear running water. That's what I'd do. Okay. Thanks, Tessa. Good luck to you. Somebody wants to know on SMS, can you reverse an allergy? Well, initially we thought not. Because an allergy is where your immune system has, for some reason, learned, in inverted commas, to react to the wrong thing. And you've made a class of antibodies called IgE antibodies, which when they see something that you regard as a threat, which isn't really, they cause your mast cells to release loads of histamine, and we all know the symptoms. Itchy eyes, runny nose, sore throat, coughing and sneezing, itchy ears. In recent years, though, scientists have discovered that it is possible to reverse some aspects of allergy. And there's a lady called Pamela Ewan, E-W-A-N, who published a paper in the Lancet Medical Journal recently. And they have managed to successfully cure, in inverted commas, a whole bunch of children with what was previously a life-threatening peanut allergy. And the way they did it was to start very small and slowly increase exposure to the peanut protein that the children were reacting to until they got to the point where the children were eating a handful of peanuts every day without harm. The only thing is the children now have to continuously have a prescription of about five or six peanuts per day Uh to make sure that they keep their immune system in check. What she thinks is going on is that when you slowly introduce this thing that you're allergic to, Rather than just driving the allergy, you also drive a a different arm of your immune system called the regulatory system because your immune system has another parallel system that regulates itself and stops things running uh, kind of into overdrive or overreacting and that slowly you can build up a tolerance to things that you previously reacted to by increasing the activity of this regulatory circuit but you've got to keep stimulating it so that's why they think keeping on giving people the peanuts makes that allergy stay away it might be that hay fever Mm -hmm. is so acute because hay fever comes in the summer because all of a sudden there's this deluge of pollen you have loads and loads of uh, 
symptoms because you've suddenly been exposed to the pollen, but then your regulators kick in and they make the symptoms get better, which is why everyone says, oh, the pollen season's over now. Well, there is still pollen about, but your symptoms tend to get better. Is it that because of the chronic exposure to pollen, your immune system is learning to cope with it, but then winter comes, all the mm. pollen goes away, and you forget again, so then you just preserve the allergy. Perhaps if we had a way of chronically exposing, exposing people to, to the pollen they're allergic to all year round, they wouldn't get symptoms in the summer. Uh-huh. Well, Chris, we've made the best of this limited time. We'll see you again next week. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Reedy, and thanks, everyone. Great questions as usual. Indeed. See you soon. Thank bye-bye. you. Bye-bye. We will podcast this conversation, and thank you all for your very interesting questions via SMS or email. And uh, those that we haven't asked, we really will try to accommodate them or squeeze them in next week. The Naked Scientist was brought to you by Grolsch Premium Lager. Grolsch, choose interesting, not for sale to persons under the age of 18. Thinking about your next career move in research and development? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that's investing £20 billion in R&D over the next two years. The nation that's home to four of the world's top research universities. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK.